Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are continuing our series on the genealogies of Scripture. And here, Peter Lightheart, James B. John, and Alistair Roberts are going to discuss the genealogy from Adam to Esau, found in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. This is where we're going to begin looking at the genealogies that take up the first nine chapters of Chronicles, and we're going to seek to show why these are worth paying attention to and not just skimming over. Before we jump in, we do want to remind you about our Theopolis Fellows program. This is our flagship program at Theopolis, which is an introductory but a very comprehensive curriculum designed to initiate church leaders into the Theopolitan vision. Our program begins in July with a week and a half of study here in Birmingham, Alabama, and then an online group takes you through the fall, and then a final week of study in person happens in January. So if you or someone you know may be interested in this program, please take a look at the link down there in the show notes. Also find the link down there in our show notes to our YouTube channel, which has a new video of some of our recent fellows chanting Psalm 88. With that, we want to thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by this episode. And here are Peter Lightheart, Alistair Roberts, and James B. John, discussing the genealogy found in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm Peter Lightheart, and I'm here today with Alistair Roberts and James B. John, and Brian Motes is helping us keep the recording going and keeping all the technical aspects of our work going. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. As uh, If you've been listening regularly, you'll know that we've been going through the genealogies of the Bible. We spent a good bit of time in the genealogies of the book of Genesis uh, in previous episodes, and we've looked at the genealogy in uh, the book of Exodus that uh, climaxes the genealogies of the Pentateuch. Uh, today, we're starting a series of episodes on the genealogies that take up the first nine chapters of First Chronicles. You'll know these chapters because they're the ones you skip as you're doing your annual Bible reading. Uh, or skim. If you don't skim, skip them entirely, you may you may be tempted to skim them uh, and not pay attention to the details. Uh, we hope to make it clear as we go through the these um, uh, these genealogies in in some sort of detail, not uh, not uh, tedious detail. We hope, but in some sort of detail that uh, there are certainly things to learn not only about chronicles but about God's work in history in general. Uh, there is a good bit of overlap with what we find in the book of Genesis, particularly in chapter one uh, of First Chronicles. And so uh, some of the things we talked about there we'll be repeating. But in any case, we, we hope that we can show that these genealogies are worth paying attention to and not, not skimming through. Uh, I want to take a couple of minutes at the beginning just to try to set up what I think the role of these genealogies is within First and Second Chronicles. I recently published a commentary with the Brazos commentary series on first and second chronicles and spent a good bit of time with the genealogies and actually found them quite fascinating after I'd gotten over the initial strangeness of them. But I, I concluded that they fit into the, into the book of first and second chronicles in a, in several different ways. Uh, I think it's significant that the genealogy begins with Adam. It doesn't begin with Abraham. So it's a universal genealogy that traces the history of humanity uh, you eventually get to Abraham in chapter 1, verse 27, and then from that point on, of course, we're talking about the genealogies of Israel. But that uh, genealogy of Israel is not the originating genealogy, and it's set within the context of this universal history of different nations. Uh, and I think that fits with the the frame of Chronicles. 
has that universal scope. We have Adam as the first name, the first word of the book. And the last word of the book is the decree of Cyrus. Uh, the history of Israel's monarchy is uh, coming to an end, winding down, but uh, you have some of the task of the Davidic kings has been taken over by Cyrus, the king of Persia. And now you have this Gentile king and you have this universal this universal perspective at the end of the book. So the, the whole book is framed, the whole history of uh, Israel's monarchy is framed within this more general history of the children of Adam uh, and Cyrus as the as the uh, climax of that uh, cl- that story as far as Chronicles is concerned. Another thing that I think is going on here that Chronicles is written, it's telling the story of Israel's history, uh, uh, history of uh, Judah's, I should say, Judah's monarchy. Uh, but it's written after the exile. We know that it's written after the exile because, or at least in its final form, the decree of Cyrus comes at the end. So the chronicler uh, tells us that Israel is going to return from exile. That's different from Kings, which ends with the elevation of Jehoiachin out of his prison while he's still in exile. And so th- that post-exilic context, I think, is important because what we have in the first first chapters of Chronicles is a kind of reassembly of Israel, living and dead. I mean, there are, the genealogies go beyond the time period of the history that's given. They go into the post-exilic period. Uh, some of the genealogies trace out past the monarchy and into the exile and beyond the exile. Uh, and you have a reassembly of all Israel, as it were, on the page. Uh, so there's a, a kind of picture of the assembly of, uh, of the reassembly of Israel in Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. There's a picture of that given in the in the opening uh, in the opening chapters. The last thing I want to say, and I, I want to, I don't want to monologue. I want to give James and Alistair plenty of time to comment. But the last thing I'll say is that I ended up concluding that Chronicles is presenting the history of Judah's monarchy as a kind of replay of the history that precedes David within the Old Testament. So you have a, a Genesis section of Chronicles. You have uh, a kind of Exodus story with the, uh, uh, the story of David. David is presented very much as a new Moses figure in Chronicles, more so than he is in, in uh, the book of Samuel. Uh, you have a long period of fluctuation, ups and downs, where Judah is uh, at one time faithful, and then they fall into, when they, when they have a faithful king, they're faithful. When the king dies, then they fall into idolatry. And it resembles the ups and downs of the period of the judges. And then you get to the end of Second Chronicles, and it's like the catastrophe at the end of the period of the judges. You're waiting for a new David, and the new David that appears is uh, surprisingly not a descendant of David, but Cyrus, uh, who is functioning, as I said, like a, like a Davidic king, uh, sponsoring and overseeing the rebuilding of the temple providing all the materials as David does in first Chronicles. Now Cyrus is providing the materials for the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, and so you have the, the history of the monarchy is a replay as it were of the, uh, of the history of uh, Israel prior to the rise of David. And it transitions into a new period when Gentile Kings are going to take over some of the, uh, some of the task of those Davidic Kings. If that's correct, it's, uh, that's the that's the structure I'm using throughout my commentary. If that's right, then the genealogies make sense at the beginning of the book. You have a uh, a book of the beginnings, as it were, at the beginning of First Chronicles that resembles the book of beginnings and overlaps in in a lot of details with the book of beginnings that we have in uh, in the book of Genesis. So I would suggest that this is kind of the Genesis portion of First and Second Chronicles, uh, and it makes sense with the, with the overall uh, narrative flow of the book. First Chronicles is also one of those texts where we can see some of the 
um, relationships between other bodies of text within Scripture. So Matthew uses this pattern of um, chronicles a lot, the emphasis upon Jesus as the descendant of Abraham and David, and the focus for these beginning chapters is the genealogy of Abraham and then David, and then the beginning um, alluding to Genesis and then the final end of the book of Matthew alluding to the decree of mm-hmm. Cyrus. And then also to Genesis, we can see many of the sections that we've looked at in Genesis in chapter 5, in chapter 36 with the genealogy of Esau, some of the parts in chapter 25. Um, all of these are condensed and summarized, particularly within the first chapter here. So we're seeing something that holds together and brings together a number of other um, bodies of biblical material and is one of the means by which this material is brought into something like the book of um, Matthew, mm. which is very much working with this mm. pattern. Mm-hmm. Just a very quick observation to sort of cement some of those things. W- one difference between Genesis and Chronicles in terms of the material it lays out is we don't have any ages in um, Chronicles given. And generally, you, you don't get the um, ex fathered why who fathered dead and and so forth but it's just lists it just starts straight in adam seth enosh canaan mahalel and and so forth and um uh it 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 just seems then to con uh to concentrate on origins and the um the the um genealogical origin of of the kings who it's going to talk about rather than the way in which genesis concentrates i would think on uh the unfolding of promises over time and, and the forward progress of, of the promise. Yeah, I think the, the, the lack of uh, the, the ages, I think, is um, that is an interesting contrast. Uh, you can't construct a, uh, a chronology from this as you can from the, the overlapping genealogies in the book of Genesis. Perhaps that's, that's consistent with the idea that, that I propose that we have here is a kind of reassembly of all Israel, all the faithful living and dead um, that uh, are being reassembled on the page in a kind of you know, this is this this is the great return from exile, uh, anticipated at least with uh, different generations of Israel. At least their names are are being placed. I think it's it is important to notice that uh, you mentioned a couple of the you mentioned the opening list, which is just a list of tracing out the ten generations from Adam to Noah, and then the three sons of Noah. That's one kind of genealogical uh, snippet that we have in First Chronicles, but there are there are other sorts. There are genealogies that are lists of sons of a particular person and then their descendants. There are mothers and wives uh, that are sometimes included and even even sisters. Uh, David's brothers and sisters are mentioned in his genealogy. And then there are, there are also uh, both the, the little narrative vignettes. Uh, some of them are really embedded within the genealogy th- themselves and some of them stand out as as uh, separate uh, separate bits of text, like the the story of uh, Jabez that we'll we'll talk about in uh, when we get to the uh, genealogy of Judah. So you have a, a variety of different uh, genealogical material here. That's it's it's not it's not a consistent thing. And sometimes the, you have the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew and Luke. Uh, interestingly, one goes forward from Abraham; the other one goes backward to Adam. And the same kind of variation occurs in First Chronicles. You have forward and backward genealogy. Some of them trace back to an, an earlier the ancestor that began the the family or the clan within Israel. So you have a, a wide variety of different types of genealogical genealogical material here. 
And having just the list of names maybe accentuates certain features such as the 10 generations in verse uh, verses 1 to 3 and verses 24 to 27 with the final person in the generation generational series being particularly important. Noah in the first case and then Abraham in the second. And I wonder whether they're in this particular translation that I'm looking at, the ESV, there is a structuring of it according to threes with, um, first of all, the verse divisions, but also with semicolons that suggest that there is a 3-3-3-1 pattern, um, which is an interesting feature. Mm -hmm. It would seem to be the threes followed by a character who's associated with rest, um, Noah and then Abraham. Mm -hmm. I wonder, just picking up on your point, Peter, um, I think I'm right in saying that the genealogies which um, uh, start with someone and then sort of work their way up, if you like, work their way to earlier um, ancestors, I think that they're the priestly lines, like largely in 1 Chronicles 6. They may even be solely the, the priestly people. And I wonder if that could be illuminating in terms of a difference between Matthew and Luke. So Luke being particularly a priestly emphasis insofar as it talks about how jesus began to minister at the age of 30 and then it gives us that sort of upwards um genealogy in contrast to matthew Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting i hadn't made the connection with matthew and luke i i I believe you're right i'd have to go back and check but i believe you're right that the only place you have those reverse genealogies is with the with the priests i know that that's the case in the in that central section of the uh, of the genealogy, so uh, that would be yeah, that is an interesting link with with Luke. I, I should say too, I, I said Levites at the center, uh, chapter six of First Chronicles, uh, and there, uh, I, I I do think there's a kind of chiastic structure uh, going on in the in these chapters with the genealogy of the Levites at the center, and perhaps uh, I, I try to make a case in my commentary that the center of the center is the musicians, that the um, the different clans of Levites who uh, sing and play musical instruments in the temple worship are the are the central. Uh, that's the central genealogy they have in the whole in the whole section. But I think it's interesting you have you have a frame. You start with these genealogies that we're looking at in chapter one. Begins with Adam and goes through uh, the sons of uh, Noah and the sons of Noah until you get to Abraham. So you have this frame of the time before Israel is called before Abram is called. The genealogy ends in chapter nine with information about um, it looks like a new new Israel after the exile that's being listed out in in chapter nine, and that kind of forms the frame. Within that, you have Judah in chapters two through four and Benjamin in chapter eight. Those are the two individual tribes that frame the genealogies of the twelve tribes. So you have these kingly tribes; those are the two royal tribes, Judah being the predominant one. But of course, Benjamin was the first royal tribe. Those two royal tribes form the outer outer frame of a uh, genealogy, genealogical tables that have the Levites at the center, uh, and it occurred to me that that's a there's a, a kind of picture of the royal vocation in that the king, of course, is supposed to keep public order and he enforces the law in the civil realm, but especially as presented in Chronicles, the king is a temple constructor and a temple protector. Even David is the temple building project in First, First and Second Chronicles is really a cooperative work of David and Solomon. 
David's the one who gathers all the materials, organizes the priests, makes sure that everything is ready for the actual building. And then Solomon is the one who builds it. But without David's preparation, you don't have the temple. So the, the, the structure of the genealogy seems to be reinforcing that with the, the, the royal tribes, given this position of being the outer protectors, the boundary protectors, as it were, for the Levitical work that takes place at the center of Israel. Hmm. Picking up on that idea of the role of the priests, Alistair noted, I think, last time when we were in Exodus 6, how we have these aged genealogies when we know how long people lived and when they gave birth to their descendants and so forth. And that takes us all the way from Adam through to Aaron. And then Aaron is is the the last of, of the aged genealogies. And I wonder if there's a sense in which those ages are recorders of time, if, if you like, um, markers of time, and, and they are um, uh, charting out the unfolding of God's promises. I wonder if there's a sense in which that role is taken over by the priesthood, by Aaron's descendants, insofar as from that moment on, they mark time oh. with the, um, the the sacred calendar and the um, the liturgy, the repetition of certain sacrifices. And I wonder if there's a sense in which they take on that role. That makes sense to me uh, that uh, they would be the the caretakers of time or the guardians of time um, in in the ways that you say. And and the genealogies do seem to point in that direction. Yeah, I think that's a good good insight. And there are differences between some of the genealogies that we've been looking at in that some seem to be very much going forward and tracing lines of succession and others seem to be spreading out um, exploring the way in which a particular people group expanded into other people groups and where they settled things like that so you see that within um, Genesis chapter 10 and some of the details that are mentioned of the the various nations for instance whereas it's in the line of Shem that you see that forward movement um, the line of Shem is particularly focused with succession, whereas Ham and Japheth are extending out. Later on, when you get to David, it seems that you also see the line of Shem extending out and maybe a, an expression of an extent of dominion that has not been enjoyed previously. Whereas the line of Shem seems to be particularly connected with succession and that movement forward in time which i think would connect mm. with mm-hmm. the age genealogies yeah very interesting in a sense you you have uh, an interestingly continuous record i guess in that you have the ages from adam to aaron then handing over to a priesthood as it were at the end of the priesthood sort of destruction of, of the temple is pretty much where some timed prophecies come in so you have um jeremiah's 70 years has started then and that is sort of taken up and reapplied in some senses by daniel with his 490 um years in in total and so you you have a an interesting sort of charting out of time all the way up until jesus at at the fullness of time Mm -hmm. daniel's timing is as far as i'm aware the only sort of timed bridge we have over the whole intertestamental period yeah, and you also uh, see it, have to think about how this might fit in, but you also have the phenomenon of, insofar as there's a chronology in Kings and Chronicles, it's by the reigns of kings. So you do have a royal kind of chronology that's taking place through that. But then eventually that gets taken over by Gentile kings. And so the, 
the things that are happening toward the end of the history of Judah are all dated in terms of the year, the, the regnal year of Nebuchadnezzar or the regnal year of Cyrus later on for the end of the exile. Uh, so you have this, uh, again, a, a series of transitions in, in it's as if the Lord is delegating mastery of time to different uh, different kind of offices, as you're saying with the prophets, but also uh, you have the movement from Israel's kings, Judah's kings, to the Gentile emperors who are the ones who are kind of lords of time. Can I float something speculative that I argue? <laughs> we never do that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, unless I'm absolutely certain that it's right. Um I I make this point in my commentary. I I was struck by the use of the phrase that's used throughout throughout these genealogies, sometimes translated as heads of the father's households. Sometimes that's the actual Hebrew. But then there are times when the phrase is not heads of the father's households, but the sons are designated as heads of the fathers. And then uh, our English translators helpfully put in household as a, a clarification. But the actual Hebrew is, is not that, which is struck me as an odd kind of uh, locution that um, you think that the fathers are heads of the sons, but the way that the genealogy is phrased, at least in, in uh, a great number of instances, actually, it's that so-and-so who descended from X is head of X. Uh, and there's, it feels almost like there's some kind of uh, flip in the genealogy, the kind of trajectory or, or the pressure of the genealogy. It's not so much genealogy that's uh, it is sim- it is tracing backward to origins, but it's almost like it's also tilting forward to something that's yet to come. Which I think I'm just stating there, just then more or less what's in the text. But I think there's a, there's a uh, I think there's an interesting twist on the way we think of fathers and sons and genealogies and descent. I mean, in a sense, I I have, well, not in a sense, it's simply a fact that I have a succession because I have sons. So without my sons and daughters, I would not have any kind of future. That's that's what gives me a future. Or you can put it into, you can make the, a similar point in a more theological vein. So Abram is given this promise, in your seed, all the nations shall be blessed. What really crowns the promise to Abraham and crowns Abraham as the father of the uh, father of many nations is not what Abraham accomplishes himself, but what his uh, his ultimate seed accomplishes. And so, uh, there's a sense in which this primacy, there's a kind of primacy that's given to the son uh, as the fulfillment of the promise of the father. So, I, I don't want to deny that the genealogies are tracing roots, but it also looks like the genealogies are pointing ahead to to, to fruits. And that the fruits, the fruits are really what legitimate, legitimate, and 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 fulfill the roots. It's what makes the roots uh, useful. Roots that they have fruit. If you're if if you're following the logic there. So similar to Jesus' statement to the Jesus' statement to the Pharisees that um, whose son is the Christ and the son of David, but yet David in the spirit calls him Lord, and saying that that's not just. A theological statement about Christ's divine identity, but also a statement that may be saying something more about the relationship of um, the son who completes the destiny of David to David himself. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That, that would be an analogous uh, analogous point, and and maybe analogy analogy too in the the way the genealogy of Matthew one is set up, where Jesus is 
kind of the beginning and the end. Literally, his name is the beginning and the end of the genealogy. So that's the kind of uh, suggestion I'm making. So you seem to you seem Alistair to be fairly supportive of the speculative idea that I just proposed. I'm supportive of the um, theological notion. Yeah, I'm not sure about how the language is working. I think James would probably have a better idea of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure. One, one interesting point is that actually there is some fuzziness just in, in the term root in Hebrew, like a, a, a shuresh can describe either um, a an ancestor or or a descendant. It's actually got that slight blurriness to it. Hmm. Interesting. I was going to just quickly see, see if it was worth looking into. I'm interested in the way in which sort of part of the purpose of, of chapter one seems to be to um, chart out the, the offshoots, if you like. So um, there, there, there is a, um, a line down to Noah, and then we're told that Noah, in verse four, has Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Japheth and Ham's descendants are dealt with quite in a, quite a summary fashion, uh, and then it focuses on the way in which Shem's line continues. And then that happens elsewhere that that pattern sort of gets um reiterated in when it reaches abraham it kind of fans out horizontally a l- little bit and uh, i suppose i was just thinking it, it strikes me as interesting the uh ways and times at which these offshoots get reincorporated back into um the line of line of promise if you like um uh, in jesus ministry it seems very much as if israel is in a central position among the nations it, it is bordering um egypt so it, it is bordering ham and the descendants and jesus is obviously speaking greek he, he will be crucified with greek and, and latin um, written and um, the new testament will be published in in greek and it, it seems to be that there is a, a coming together there of all those um, lineages and a, a reincorporation of the Gentiles, and there are then some sort of abortive attempts to do so um, uh, in the Old Testament it, itself. I, I was trying to look at where some of these names, um, like the sons of Japheth, the names like Javan and Tubal and Meshech, and a lot of these offshoots are mentioned in Ezekiel twenty-eight and twenty-nine, where. Tyre has this huge list of uh, people whom she's trading with and this big merchants network and and that seems to be setting up connections which God didn't want reset up at that time and as a result Tyre is judged and the merchants wail like they do when Babylon falls in Revelation and the sort of the way in which uh, and and the time at which these nations are brought back into play strikes me as a uh, an interesting thing. Yeah, and I have some thoughts about uh, the way that works on a small scale in the uh, genealogy of Judah, but I'll reserve that for another episode when we're actually looking at the genealogy of Judah. It's a teaser. You have to come back if you want to hear what I have to say about that. When we read these genealogies in Genesis or elsewhere. We often do not see the force that they have when they're put back to back and we can compare characters and see some of the symmetries between different sections of the genealogies that we encounter in Genesis in separate places. And so some of the similarities between the earlier lines and then some of the later lines, some of the symmetries between 
Judah and David, or some of the ways in which we see similarities between Edom and David's line. And those sorts of things become a lot clearer when we bring these things together in a condensed space, as do the symmetries between the ten generations and other features like that. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.